In this episode, I chat with Maria Garza, a neuroscientist in San Antonio, Texas. We discuss her research on blind mice, what it's like to touch a brain, and all sorts of interesting questions submitted by elementary and middle school students. This is the audio recording for a Space Club career chat that we've posted on YouTube and linked in our show notes. I invite you to share this episode or video with your students. Enjoy! Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Natasha. From college roommates to co-founders of Vivify STEM, pull up a seat as we discuss our experiences as aerospace engineers, teachers, moms, program directors, curriculum writers, graduate students, and friends. This is the STEM Space Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Space Club Career Chats. I'm so excited to be kicking this off uh, for the fall 2022 season of Space Club. I know many of the schools out there have already started doing their mission to moon or mission to Mars. And so good luck. I can't wait to see all of the things that you guys are creating. And also thank you for submitting uh, for our career chat guest. So today's the first one. We're going to be kicking it off for the semester. So we have Maria Garza. She is in San Antonio. And she has a degree in biology from the University of Incarnate Word and a master's in biology from the University of Texas at San Antonio. So she's very passionate about studying the brain. She's going to talk about research that she's done on blind mice and how they navigated compared to seeing mice. Um, And she's actually in between jobs and she's trying to figure out her next path in her career. And I'm really excited about that to talk about how she's figuring out what her next steps are. Her goal is to aid in drug and biotech development. So let me bring her on. Hey, Maria, welcome. Hi, Natasha. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you here as our first guest. Did you know you were first? I actually did it. I did know that everyone was asking lots of questions, though, so that's exciting. Yeah, so let's go ahead and just jump right in. Um, So I love to start with the pathway, like your journey to where you are now. And so I mentioned you've studied neuroscience, done a little bit of research, but what made you want to learn about the brain? I wanted to learn about the brain because I saw it as this big mystery. Um, I mean, can you just like try to wrap your mind around the idea of studying your own brain. Like it kind of, if you think about it too long, it'll freak you out, right? Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) don't don't go too far down the rabbit hole. But I just, I thought it was just so fascinating and that um, there's still so much that we didn't really understand about it. The more that I would read, the more that I got exposed to neuroscience, I understood that, oh, wow, like we really still don't know that much. And but I guess the the thing that got me started thinking about it was uh, a class that I took during my senior year of undergraduate at Incarnate Word. It was a elective course called Neuroplasticity. And during that class, we read this book. There's a picture of it on the slide there, The Brain That Changes Itself by Dr. Norman Deutsch. And during the reading this book, it by the way, it's about uh, a bunch of clinical trials about patients who have suffered strokes and how miraculously the brain recovered and that it was just defying what everyone thought the brain was. Everyone thought it was a a machine made of neurons and that when neurons die, that's it. I mean, how many times have you heard people tell you, oh, don't hit your head, you'll kill your neurons and you're gonna get dumber or something like that, right? (laughs) Right. And so everyone's like, oh my gosh, my neurons. But the, the reality is 
is, is that no, the brain is plastic. It can adapt and it can, it can overcome some crazy things like people in, in these stories having severe strokes that would take out a quarter of their brain matter even, and that they would still be able to recover abilities like speech, learning, things like that somehow, even though the brain areas that were thought to be implicated in those abilities were severely damaged. And it just made everything seem so much cooler, right? Like, oh man, like we really don't know what's going on. Like, how is it doing this? It's a lot. Okay, that is so cool. All right, so then you're fascinated about the brain, but then why, okay, now you're like, I'm gonna study neuroscience. What made you pick that path? So this was tricky, right? Because while I was getting those revelations, I was also trying to find what career I wanted to do. And I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with is that they maybe identify things that they're interested in, but they don't know what to do with them. How am I gonna make money doing what I love? Things like that. Because um, when I started in college, I had no idea that even I even had an affinity for science. I actually thought that I was going to get into politics, which, uh, no, <laughs> it didn't work no. out for me. <laughs> but that's kind of the beauty of the college experience, though, is that you're required to take a bunch of different courses that are maybe outside of what you thought you were interested in. Like they call them the, the general courses that everyone has to take, right? So along the way, I had to take biology classes. I had to take science courses. And I found out that I had a real affinity for them. I loved learning. I loved the scientific process, the labs. Like all this stuff was really fun for me. So I'm start, I started to see gradually like, oh, I'm not a, pol a politician. I'm not a journalist. You know, all the things that were going through my head. I'm a scientist. I think like mm. a scientist. So narrowing in on that was really important. And then also what I was exposed to. So like I said, that class that I took on neuroplasticity, that got my, my little gears going, like, okay, I like the brain, the brain is cool. Um, I also had other things, right? Genetics, oh, super cool. Cell biology, all this stuff. But it really, it all just kind of kept pointing to the brain for me. And what kind of sealed the deal for me was I took a free course on Coursera. It's an online site where you can take free college courses. So if you don't know what you like, go try something. You never know. So I took this course in uh, medical neuroscience taught by uh, Dr. White out of uh, where was it? Duke University, I believe. And that class, I just, yes, I need to study neuroscience because it wasn't actually about discoveries in neuroscience, that class. It was actually about diagnosing medical disorders that were related to the nervous system. So it was about like, oh, well, if your patient has these symptoms, what do they have? Also a little bit of background into how neurons worked and, and things like that. But the emphasis was more medical. But because I was like, well, why is this happening? How is this happening? How is it working? That's why I, I, I got turned on to neuroscience research. So very roundabout pathway, <laughs> but that I got to what I love. So that's what's important. Yeah, it's like, you just have to keep going, right? And keep asking questions and keep searching and trying new things. And then you'll be surprised on the, the it's like, you don't know what you don't know, right? right. <laughs> it was exactly. taking this class that just like triggered all these questions and ignited that spark. And I love that. And so one student here from Alabama was asking, how long does it take? So you decided to do this, which your degrees in biology, right? So Correct. how long is that process of a bachelor's and master's? Right. Okay. So a bachelor's typically takes about four years and then a master's degree is two years. 
Um, what's interesting is to get into a master's degree program, you don't necessarily need a bachelor's in neuroscience. You can get a bachelor's like I did in biology. So you can kind of narrow in your focus the further you get into it. Biology degrees, like bachelor degrees, are very general. So you end up taking classes in everything. I mean, I took classes in ecology, um, mm -hmm. things like that, that I, I didn't end up having a real interest in. But again, it was that exposure, seeing like, okay, that's not what I like. This is what I like. You can kind of narrow it in it's and like get start broad. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So All then right. once so you get into a master's program, you get to even get more focused. And then you keep going out. if you want, right? <laughs> and then you get the yeah. PhD and it's like even more narrow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So now let's talk about some of the work you've done in this field. Um, but let's start with what is a neuroscientist? Okay, so a neuroscience, neuroscientist is one who studies neuroscience. So someone who studies the different nervous systems. So we have two, right? The central and the peripheral. Uh, most people, when you think of neuroscientists, you think of, oh, central, you're gonna study the brain. But there are people out there who study peripheral nervous systems and uh, people like who study taste, for example, they're not, considered like brain because they they focus more on the nerves in our, okay. in our tongue and in our, in our gut things like that but yeah so there's still even within the term neuroscientist there's a very wide range of things that you can study and it really i it speaks to just how how much we still have to learn right because i don't believe anyone in the world can say i'm an expert neuroscientist period mm -hmm. right because you become an expert in a very specific idea or a very specific region or a very specific cell type. So like there's there's so much to get into in the world of neuroscience. So it, yeah, it's it's hard to just say who is a neuroscientist because you end it's up so doing broad. studying so many different things, using so many different techniques. Um, it's it's just yeah, it's a huge realm. But Overall, you study nerves. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Well, then your the research example you gave us um, was about mice. So, how can you tell us a little bit about that experiment? Experiment, but also like how is that related to neuroscience? Sure. So, uh, something that the brain does that's very important is that it learns and it keeps memories. And you can think, well, how? How do you even study that? Well, you have to find models to study how that happens. And there's some things that you can't do in people that you could, that is more ethical, that is ethical mm -hmm. to, to do in animals, right? So using animal models is really valuable because we can check different things in, in terms of if animals, animals are able to learn and, and remember things. So something that I worked on was uh, it was a combination of vision experiments and then also navigation so typically people don't combine those but if you think of like oh you're gonna do you're gonna study vision or you're gonna study navigation but I was able to do this combination experiment and what I wanted to understand was basically how do blind mice navigate because sighted mice you would think oh well they probably were relying on their eyesight to some degree now, mice don't have the greatest vision to begin with, but they do use it. They need it. So what, what's the difference if they don't have vision? So 
what I did was I combined a Pavlovian experiment with a reorientationic task. So if anyone's ever heard of Pavlov and his dogs, you know that you can train animals to do a behavior in, in, um, in return for a food reward. So I trained mice to dig to find a food reward in a location mm -hmm. that they could find if they understood geometry. So if they understood their arena. So these mice were in a rectangle and the reward was always in a cup on the right side of a short wall. So they had to learn that rule, right? Like if I dig in, this, in the cup that's on the right side of a short wall, the rectangle, I'll mm -hmm. find a reward 50% of the time, right? Because the rectangle has two symmetrical right sides. So if the animal, if the mouse learns the task, it will get it correct, it will dig in the correct cup 50% of the time because half of it, it will be going right, to the right. correct right, right. If it doesn't learn, then it'll be 25, 25, 25, 25. Yeah, yeah. So what we did is we trained sighted mice to do that. We saw their, how fast it took them to learn on average and we compared them to blind mice and we found that blind mice could learn the task even though they couldn't see the length of the walls. So we wanted to know how are they understanding this? It did take them a day longer. I think it took our sighted mice three days to learn. It took our blind mice four. Hmm. What we found was that it has to do with the area the mice walk on. So it's their haptic perception, their ability to touch the boundaries and edges. That's what they use to learn how to navigate because geometry is really important for navigating. Uh, we can talk about, oh, you can use landmarks to navigate in the real world, but a lot of people just think of Oh, go left, then right, then left, then right. So this is, it was really interesting to come up with this, this answer and to be able to yeah. publish it and everything. That is awesome. And you had shared some links. Um, I think it was the study, right? And so yeah. if any students are interested in learning more, I'll have it in the comments below and they can like learn more about this. And if what she's sharing is interesting to you, maybe you should consider um, a pathway in biology or neuroscience. Okay, I'm gonna hit you with this question <laughs> um, that I thought was interesting. We, I'm just gonna ask it. Is it possible to insert memory chips in human bodies that can connect to the nervous system and transmit data through the ionic movement so that all memories get stored in the memory chips and we do not forget any moment of our life? And Arav wants to know this because they don't want to have to study very much for tests. So they just oh. want to like input the information. So that was the basis of that question. <laughs> That is awesome. Um, <laughs> props to this kid. Um, so uh, I can pretty much guarantee at this point, you're going to have to study for all your tests through ah. whatever grade you're in right now and, and into high school and into college because we're, we're just not there yet. Um, the fact is we don't even know for certain that electrical activity within the brain is responsible for memories. We don't even know it for, for certain. We believe that it's really important. We, we, we see that when we interrupt signals in different places, that it alters how people behave, how animals, people, monkeys, whatever, how they behave, how they learn. But we don't understand how it all comes together. It's really cool. There are a lot of um, interesting documentaries out there. I actually saw one not that long ago that talked about this a little bit. And it was, it was more concerned about um, like bionic limbs, things like that. So simple reflex um, mechanisms we can imitate with, with machines. That's why we're able to have robotic limbs, things like that. Um, but 
something as complex as a memory, we are not even close to understanding how those are made and coded and kept. Um, we have ideas, but to be able to copy and keep it in some sort of external drive, we're, we're not close. Right. We're not yeah, I'm there yet. Like some filing cabinet for the brain. You just like sort it. I mean, I would love to be alive to, to see that happen, but I, I don't think I don't think I will be. Just like upload everything I need to know for this test. It'd be so fun someday. All right. Well, now let's switch to your life outside of science. You mentioned crocheting. I got so many questions on this. So they want to know, what do you like to crochet? And I think you have props. I have props. I love crocheting everything. I, I have the ones that I have in my, my picture there. So these are how big they are. Um, these are called amigurumi. They're really fun to make. Um, it's a Japanese art of crocheting and stuffing little characters and animals. So this is a lot of fun. Um, I really love this little cow. And uh, I also have my little carrot. <laughs> it's hair. I have one. I have. I have one under construction right now. I don't know if has anyone Ooh. seen um, Star versus the Forces of Evil, that Disney show. It's really awesome. I'm working I'm on Star. So she doesn't have hair yet. She's gonna have hair. She's not done yet, but I'm working on her. That is. <laughs> let's get a closer look. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! She doesn't. Gonna love she that. doesn't have her her mouth yet either. Yeah, but yeah. we're getting there. <laughs> How long does she, a project like that take? It depends. So, like this little pokeball took me like maybe an hour. Or so this was really easy to do. Something like this takes a little bit longer because there's a lot of parts you have to attach and switching colors and stuff. So this is probably like uh, I don't know how many hours would you take maybe 10-ish, 10-ish hours. And this is another thing though, I, this is a hobby for me. So keeping track of the time is not something I'm really doing. <laughs> but yeah, it just take a little while. Well, so you, have a fan. <laughs> you have a fan in the comments because Emily, who's on the Vivify team, she's like, yes, we've watched all of Star, oh, So, <laughs> Yeah, I love that show. <laughs> okay, and then what is your favorite book to read? Oh, I saw that and I was, I was dreading having to answer this because it's so hard to say one book. <laughs> um, I, I did mention that I love the Shadow and Bone trilogy by um, Lee, Bar uh, Lee Bardugo. There we go. Um, but saying which book is my favorite is really difficult. I think right now I would say it's the third book of that, that series. It's called Rune and Rising. That's probably my favorite so far. But I mean, it changes all the time. <laughs> I'll read something else and be like, no, this is my favorite now. What mood but, you're um, in, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, lately I've been really on a fantasy kick. So a lot of like those kind of things. I love uh, the books by V.E. Schwab, the, um, the Darker Shade of Magic series. That stuff's also really good. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I love reading. Okay, and then the last question for this one, which I love this is coming from a group of sixth and eighth graders. They want to know what is harder being a scientist or a mom and you have two boys. So what's harder? You guys are funny. Why are you worried about this right now? Um, <laughs> well, the way I like to think about it is that being a mom and being a neuroscientist, they kind of require different energies, right? Mm -hmm. Being a neuroscientist, you really need to be, have a lot of inward energy to study, you have to read, you have to look at data, come up with experiments, conclusions, predictions. It's very like, it's mental work. But being a mom is very like 
like physically exert. Like, I have to be present. I have to be engaged. I have to, you know, you want to be just like fully present and active with your kids. And I found that for me personally, like inward energy is a lot, comes a lot easier to me. Like I can sit and read and do data and everything for hours and hours and hours. That was really easily to me. But being a mom and being that like physically present and engaged, it's, it's more <laughs> taxing. Yeah. So for me, it's easier to be a neuroscientist, but I still love being a mom. That's a really good answer. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Okay. So the last part here is called rapid fire. Um, so I'm going to give you like 10 seconds for this. So you're going to get like a real short couple sentence answer for each of these. So I'm sorry, but you'll okay. be great. <laughs> you ready? Let's do it. <laughs> what is the weirdest thing that you've discovered about the brain or learned? It's a mess. It's, it's a mess. mess. It's a mess. The, the, the connections and stuff, we can't figure it out. It's a mess. Love it. <laughs> What are the side effects? Oh, it's a space question. What are the side oh. effects on the brain from being in space for a long time? So you don't have gravity pulling your fluids down. So when you're outside of gravity, the fluids can go whatever, and you can get a lot of pressure built up in your skull. So you can actually get brain damage from being in outer Ooh, space for too long. Just being in space. Yep. Hmm, cool. Not cool, but... I'm doing good with time. You are. You're doing great. <laughs> Does the brain ever get too big for the skull? It can. That's um, actually a condition that's really dangerous because you can end up getting paralyzed because the tissue can get compressed around the spinal cord. Um, they actually call it a Chiari malformation. And to relieve it, you have to enlarge the base of the skull to accommodate the, the brain. Oh. So yeah, it's pretty scary. It, it, I think it's caused by like, a mutation in when the brain tissue is developing. So yes, it can happen. It's scary. What do you enjoy most about studying the brain? Discovery. When I figure things out, the whole process is fun, right? Coming up with predictions and experiments and everything. But when you actually find something and you get the payoff, that's, that's mm. the best. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. And have you ever felt a real brain? Please describe. <laughs> you weirdos. Okay. So a real brain is super squishy and sticky. And they always smell because we have to use all these crazy chemicals to get them clean and to fix the tissue so you can actually do stuff with it. Because if you don't, it's you can't touch it. It will just like it will stick to whatever you touch and just pull yeah. apart. Yeah. Real real brains are pretty gross. <laughs> I kind of want to touch one now. That's cool. <laughs> awesome. You did great. You did an awesome job Thank with you. those rapid fire. Uh, so we're going to switch here for a second on Space Club highlights. So the questions that you just got, um, we also have other submissions from kids that are in this program called Space Club. Y'all have been doing great. And I know a lot of uh, clubs are just now getting started. So I'm really excited to see what else gets uh, created. But for everybody who submitted, now we have a raffle. So Maria, this is the part that they've been waiting for. Um, and to make it related to you, um, you actually wrote a blog post. It's called A Neuroscientist's Top 5 STEM Activities for Kids and Families. And we'll link it down below if anybody wants to read it. She has some really great ideas if you're excited about this type of science to do at home with your parents. Um, but we're going to give away one of the things that was in your blog post. So can you tell us about this Emberry? 
Sure, the Emberry is actually a, a cool little experiment if you're interested in how taste works. So these little tablets, they contain a protein, it's called miraculin. Uh, and it's really interesting because when you take the, the, the tablet, the miraculin protein will bind to your sweet taste receptors. So everyone knows the diagram of the tongue, right? And how there's a lot of sweet taste receptors in the front, sour, bitter, et cetera. So when you bind a protein to the sweet receptors on your tongue, it'll activate your um, gustatory and um, taste nerve endings so that you end up tasting sweet. So no matter what you eat or drink after having one of these Emberry tablets, it will all taste sweet because your what? sweet taste receptors are active. I don't know how long it lasts. I think it's like 30 minutes or something like that. No but it's way. a cool experiment if you really want to like trick your brain into thinking something is sweet when it's not. So is this how like I can get my kids to eat broccoli? If you, if they eat it really fast. <laughs> like right after you, it. You cannot be dawdling. <laughs> this is so cool. And it's like a great way to do a science experiment, right? To have mm -hmm. people like test it and see how long maybe it lasts. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Okay. So everybody, um, so whenever we do this raffle, it's for a team. So everyone on the team is going to get this Emberry as well as, since we're doing science here, um, a really cool USB microscope. So you can plug it into your Chromebook, laptop, whatever you have, and it just go look at stuff like bugs or hair, or I've looked at like my shirt fabric, you know, like the fibers. You just go and explore. This is a bee, I think, that they're looking at here. Um, so. <laughs> Everybody who wins the raffle will get one of these. To end our career chat uh, for today, Maria, thank you so much for joining us. I love like your passion and excitement for the brain. It is honestly a topic I don't think much about, um, which is kind of funny. Um, but like, because, you know, we always use the brain. We are a brain to think about how we study our own brain is like mind bending. So I, I just love that you shared, you know, some of your story and your passion. Do you have any final thoughts, words that you want to share with all the students watching? Yeah, sure. So I think what you could probably take away from my story, right, is that you, it, life is just, it's a process of discovery. And the, the most interesting things that I think that have happened in my life have been when I've come to those moments of self-discovery. I mean, just being able to learn more about what I like and what really, like, it, like, like you said, makes me very passionate. And it took me a long time to get there. I, I went through my whole undergraduate before I really like nailed it down in my senior year. And even then I was still kind of, I don't know, that's why I took that course online. So be patient with it. If you don't know what you want to do right now, it's okay. I mean, most of you probably are kids. So just, just absorb it. Be aware of what's around you and what people are saying, because you never know what will be that thing that just sticks there and you can't get it out, because that, that'll be the thing that drives you towards what your passion is. And don't give up either. Don't try to, don't settle for things that aren't making you happy. I mean, you might get in a position where you're doing something where you, maybe you're not super happy about it, but don't let yourself be mentally stuck. Keep exploring, mm. keep looking. And what's your next step? What are you thinking to do next? Yeah. So I, one of those things that really makes me passionate is California. It's beautiful. That's where Ooh. my family goes. <laughs> we visit there all the time. And 
we've been sitting around for years saying, oh, I wish we lived in California, especially this year with the crazy weather. So that's another, that's, that was another thing where we're like, you know what, we're not happy here. Let's move to California. <laughs> so yes. we want to move, we want to move to California. So that's my next step is getting us out there. And then I'll be looking for positions, hopefully in biotech, because what I did previously was research in an academic setting, which was really interesting. Um, but I, I've heard so many great things about working in biotech that the, a lot of the constraints that are there in the academic research realm are gone. Like you can basically, like it's just a different realm and I want to get into it and see what it's like. So just one step at a time. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for joining us and I'm going to invite you back in one year because maybe then you will be in California with this really fancy biotech job and we want to know all about it. So you're going to come back. <laughs> okay. You might have to give me two years, but yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Two years. <laughs> Awesome. I gotta get well, settled, right? But yeah, thank you. Yeah, figured it out. Um, but thanks for you know sharing your story and all your advice for students.